Hello and welcome to Discussions in Tunbridge Wells, the psychology and mental health podcast produced by the Salomons Institute for Applied Psychology in Kent. My name is John McGowan and I'm a psychologist in the service. Lately we've been having a few public lectures and today we're putting one of those on our podcast feed. Uh, This talk was uh, given to us in the summer of 2019, so a little while back, by a colleague from our main department in Canterbury, Dr Liz Spruan. What Liz talked about was something that was certainly new to me, the role of dogs supporting vulnerable people in the criminal justice system. As you'll hear, It's perhaps a little bit more common in the US and Canada where some of the demands of their justice systems are a little different from the UK, sometimes really different actually. Liz was joined by Oliver, a dog specifically trained as a support animal. Liz talks not only about dogs in the justice system, but also about the depth of human-canine connection and some of the reasons why animals can be such an important support. So without further ado, it's over to Liz and Oliver. Um, So thank you, thank you very much for having me. Um, Even though I'm sure Half of you I probably forced to come, um, and the other half came probably because you heard the cute dog was here. Um, that's fine. I get invited to a lot of events. He gets invited to a lot of events, um, and I just tend to show up because uh, someone needs to talk. Um, just um, a bit about myself. Uh, as Fergal said, I'm a, a senior lecturer at the main campus, um, and I'm also uh, an investigative psychologist and a uh, canine behavioralist. Um, and a lot of the work that I do looks at how we can better better support vulnerable people in the criminal justice system. Um, So one of the projects that I've been working on for the past few years is looking at how we can better support vulnerable people through the use of specially trained dogs uh, like Oliver. Um, So I'm going to talk to you guys today just a bit about how sort of the work came about, um, what we're currently doing uh, with Oliver, and uh, hopefully I'll leave a bit of time so that you can meet him and have cuddles if you'd like. Um, He's very cuddly. Um, I, I'll introduce Oliver, but I'll talk about him quite frequently throughout um, the next hour. Um, but as I said before, Oliver is a justice facility dog, um, so he's the very first of his kind in, in Europe. And uh, a lot of people always ask me like, what exactly he is and, and what exactly is a facility dog. So um, Oliver is a type of assistance dog uh, that we call a facility dog. So I'm sure everyone's familiar with service dogs, um, so dogs like the blind dogs or guide dogs, uh, dogs for hearing, those types of dogs, those are service dogs, those are a type of assistance dog. Oliver is another type of assistance dog, so he is actually trained to provide support to vulnerable people in the criminal justice system, Um, and he's uh, trained to provide support to a number of people. So um, his actual role is to provide non-judgmental, quiet companionship to vulnerable victims and witnesses when they're going through the criminal justice process. Um, So he's very different from other types of dogs. He's trained, he's been bred to do this job. I I did that just so we could set the atmosphere a bit. Uh, (laughs) It's getting six o'clock almost. No, that's fine. I don't mind. It's it's quite nice. Um, So yeah, he's uh, been specifically trained to do this job. He's very, very different. People always say, oh, like he's like a therapy dog. He's very different from a therapy dog or an emotional well-being dog. He's literally been trained, uh, very anticlimactic, to do this, which is nothing. He's trained to not move, to not be a distraction, to come into the courts um, and provide support to victims when they're testifying or if they're in a police interview. So this is basically what he does. He's never going to win like Britain's Got Talent. You know, he's, he's never going to win it like that, but what he does is, is quite hard to train. If, if anyone knows dogs, especially a two-year-old lab, having a two-year-old lab sit 
and not move for up to eight hours is a very difficult task, and that's essentially what he does. Um, he's also trained to sort of sense when someone's anxious or upset or um, you know depressed, any sort of negative emotions, he senses that, and when he does, he'll come up to you and he's trained to sort of maintain physical contact if you're anxious. Um, so what makes him very special, people always say, my dog's so special. I'm sure they are, but my dog is actually very special. Um, because he is the uh, first of his kind outside of uh, North America. So there's hundreds of these dogs working across North America, and he's the very first of his kind in Europe. And he's also the very first of his kind to be placed at a university. So he's the only facility dog in the world that's actually placed at a university for research purposes. Um, so he's actually a member of staff. Uh, when we're done, you can see his little staff card and everything. He comes to work with me every day. Um, so he is a very special dog. And I'll talk to you, you know, throughout the next hour just about what he does. That's just a picture of our, our faculty, our departments. And there's Oliver in the middle, the one picture where he's, he's looking away. Um, and that's his old business card. So I thought in order to sort of get a sense of how the work that I do with Oliver began um, and what we've been doing so far, it's probably good to sort of get a little background of how everything began. Um, so the work that I do, it concentrates on how we can help vulnerable people, uh, particularly vulnerable victims and witnesses, when they're giving evidence. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to look at first was the type of support that we already offer to our victims and witnesses. Um, so generally, our, our, um, our country has what we call the Victims Code. And basically, when you're a victim of a crime or a witness, there's a statutory, there's a mandatory level of um, support that you are offered under the Victims Code. Um, and everyone receives that, no matter who you are, if you're a victim of a crime, as soon as you report the crime, there's certain things that you, you automatically get. So things like victim support. So if you go to court with your case, um, you know, you're allowed to have support to go to the case or just to be there with you on the day. Um, you are allowed to understand like, the progress of your case, so you should be kept up to date, what's happening. You're allowed to apply for compensation if you're a victim or witness of a crime and going to court or going to a police interview might impact on your work. You can apply for compensation. You can also apply for various levels of help if you need help getting to the court and things like that. So everyone has those types of, of, of support. And the reason we have that is just because our justice system is basically built on the idea that uh, everyone has the right to give their evidence in a case um, and to the best of their ability, that's the key, best evidence. And based on everyone's best evidence, we come to the decision if, if someone's found guilty or not. That's, that's the sense behind it. Um, so despite the minimal level of services that we provide, in 2013 our Victims Code was, it was altered a bit. Um, because we looked at the things that we don't offer. So in 2013, um, we revised it to provide an enhanced level of service for people who we consider vulnerable victims. Um, and a vulnerable victim is basically, by definition, anyone who is um, a child. So if you're a child, right away you're automatically considered a vulnerable victim. If you have a physical disability, if you have a significant impairment, um, whether it's a social impairment or um, an intelligence uh, impairment, if you have a, a mental disorder, as defined under our a Mental Health Act, or if you're a witness or a victim of a, of a major crime, so things like sexual offending, domestic abuse, if you fall into the categories of any of these things, you would be considered a vulnerable victim. Um, and if you're considered a vulnerable victim, there's a, a, 
extra level of support that we provide our vulnerable victims. And that's just because, if you can imagine, going to court or giving evidence is quite a you know, stressful event. Being a child or being someone with a learning disability or you know, mental health issues, that increases that anxiety and that stress and that intimidation of going through the process. So um, we've provided what we call special measures. And that's, those special measures are basically put into place to help vulnerable victims communicate more effectively and also protect their emotional well-being. Um, so some of the things that you can apply for in terms of you know, helping you out through the, the, the process are things like screens. So if you go to court and you have to testify um, and say you're a victim of um, you know, abuse, domestic abuse, you don't want to see the defendant, you could have a screen there so that you don't see anyone in the court but the lawyer. Um, you can be live linked in, so if you're a child, a lot of the times you, you wouldn't go to court, you would just be live linked from somewhere, not even in the courtroom, maybe blocks away, and you just linked into the courtroom, you see everyone in the courtroom and they see you. Um, there's a chance of giving evidence in private if, you know, perhaps you're a particularly vulnerable person, if you're a young child, they don't want you to go through that process again. You can give evidence in, in private, um, you can use your police interviews as evidence. Um, so sometimes, you know, when you uh, report a crime, the first thing you do is you give your statement and then a few weeks, maybe a few months later, you would provide the police with an interview. If that's good enough evidence and they feel that it's not necessary for you to go to court, you can just use that as your evidence. Um, you can also have pre-recorded cross-examinations. In youth court, you'd remove gowns and wigs. You're also allowed to have intermediaries. So um, intermediaries are legal professionals that are there just for you. When you go into police interview, if you can imagine, if you're a victim or a child, let's say you're a victim of a you know, horrendous offense and you're a child, you're not allowed to go into a police interview with your guardian or parent. They're not allowed there. If you go to court, your guardian or parent a lot of times can't come with you. So you're left with, with no one really. Intermediaries are there to sort of help you, help you understand questions, help you understand the process. Um, they're basically there for you. And the last thing you're allowed are things like communication aids. So if you are um, someone with autism and you can't, um, you can't speak or you have trouble communicating, you can use things like talking mats. So these are the type of things that you could apply for in terms of special measures to help you um, when you're going through the criminal justice process. So even though we've made you know, a lot of advancements in the past five or six years, there's been a lot of criticism in terms of the support that we provide our vulnerable victims and witnesses. Um, and the criticism pertains to the fact that even though we have these measures in place, the whole process is still very impersonal, it's very intimidating, and it's also quite traumatic. You know, if you can imagine like the journey through the criminal justice process for the average person, even going into court or going into a police station, it's a very intimidating atmosphere. Imagine being a, you know, a five-year-old child having to do that. The intimidation factor is, 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 is even higher. The government has also emphasized the need that because of that, because the process is so traumatic and intimidating, we need more support. We need more emotional support for our vulnerable victims, not just at one stage, but throughout the whole process. So there's been a lot of criticism and a lot of um, government initiatives to try to figure out how we can provide more emotional support. Um, the Victims Commissioner, Baroness Newlove, um, who I guess just stepped down recently, um, and she was a huge supporter of Oliver and the work that he does. Um, she basically contended that we need more emotional support for our young victims of serious crimes because 74%, so the vast majority of our vulnerable victims are children. 
So she's really emphasized the need for something more, um, something different, something more. And that's kind of, that's kind of what led to the work that I do with Oliver. So based on all the work that I do, um, you know, there was a real need for more support, particularly for vulnerable people, and more a way of modernizing our criminal justice system. So one way that we've started looking into it is the use of specially trained dogs, facility dogs. So these types of dogs have been used in North America for the past 15, 20 years, since 2004. And basically these dogs are used at every stage of the criminal justice process. They're mostly used for young um, victims of crime, just because um, in America and Canada they don't have the special measures that we have. So in, you know, in England, you know, a four-year-old child would never go to court. That would just never happen. In America, they have to go to court. They have to give evidence and they have to do it in front of the defendant because in their law, the defendant has the right to see who's accusing them and what they're accusing them of. So that's where these dogs kind of started to come into play. So you can imagine the intimidation factor of young children going into these court processes. Um, so they're applied in every aspect. So if you are a, um, a child victim of a sexual offense, the first thing, one of the first things you will get done is a medical examination. Um, and these dogs are used to help calm the anxieties of young children that go through that process. And what they do is while the child's sort of lying on the medical examination table, they'll have like a long lead and they'll just hold the lead. So if Oliver had a long lead and they just lie there and hold it. And I know it seems very simple holding a lead, like what could that do? But if you think about a child going through something like that, having to go through a medical examination at that age, you know, they have no control. They have no control over the offense. They have no control over what's going to happen. They have no control. But what they do have control of is, is the lead. So a lot of times when they're holding that lead, they feel a sense of control. And they've actually found that by using these dogs, oh, they're sick. Down. He's very slow. Good boy. Um, by using these dogs, these type of medical examinations that usually take an hour, two hours, are literally cut in half because the children... Oh, there's it. Good boy, down. Good boy. Good boy, stay. Um, I've lost my train of thought now. Um, because these examinations, a lot of times, children just won't go through them. So um, they've, they found that they literally cut them in half. They take you know, up to an hour. Now they're taking 20, 30 minutes. Um, they're also used in Canada America for police interviews. So when someone goes into a police interview, again, if you can imagine, if you were a parent or guardian, and your child was about to go into a police interview and give evidence as a victim, as a victim of a serious crime, you would be a bit anxious. Um, you wouldn't know what to expect. You'd be scared for your child. You know, when the dog comes into to, to play, automatically the atmosphere in, in a police station or in the police interview room, it just changes. It, it makes it a whole less intimidating because you see the children playing with the dog beforehand. You see them smiling, interacting. I mean, I bet most of you, when you walked in and saw Oliver, you, you smiled because automatically when you see a dog, it's just a reaction we have. As soon as you smile, your whole body changes. Your, the way you feel about yourself, the way you feel about the situation, it just changes. So it's the same in those contexts. So they use these dogs a lot when they're doing police interviews. Um, and also when you testify in court. So what will happen is you'll bring this dog into court and they're actually trained to go into the witness boxes, these little boxes, and they're very tiny. I mean, they're massive in America, but ours are probably about this big. And they're trained to come into and just lie down next to you. And again, the person would hold the lead while they're testifying. And it's just the reassurance of knowing that the dog's there. And in, during times of stress or if they're anxious, they'll just be there to sort of stroke the dog. 
Um, and the reason these dogs actually started, so the, the first case they actually used these was, um, it, it was a case in America in 2004, and it was these twins um, from Seattle. And it was these two twins, and their father had sexually abused them for years, and they refused to testify because, in, again, in America, um, not only uh, do they have to face their, the person they're accusing, but the defendant is allowed to defend themselves and cross-examine the, the, the witness and the victims. So in this case, this father, who was accused of sexually abusing his kids, got to cross-examine his own children, and the kids couldn't go through with it. They wouldn't testify. They were too scared. Um, so they brought one of these dogs in and just to see if it would help. And um, sure enough, um, the, the, both the, the kids testified it, and the, 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 the evidence they gave was, apparently it was amazing, and it led to the conviction of the father, and, and he was sort of put away for years. But it kind of led to more people trying to use them. Um, and that was kind of the beginnings, and since then it's flourished. I mean, it's, now these dogs are used in 36 states, in 11 provinces, and there's over 200 of them across Canada and America. And they're highly successful. There's been a lot of anecdotal evidence, loads of it, to basically show how these dogs can provide comfort and calmness, they can reduce um, anxiety and stress, they can increase mental clarity, um, they can increase memory function, they can increase speech and, and memory, um, and just give you a greater sense of well-being. And what they also do is, is they make the whole court experience, the whole criminal justice experience less stressful, not just for the victim and their support, but also for the judges, the lawyers, the observers, everyone involved. Um, now one of the main things is, one of the reasons that these dogs haven't come over is that all the evidence to date has been anecdotal. And when I say anecdotal, I mean, you know, it's observational. It's from, you know, hearsay from people using these dogs. There's, he, he might snore in a bit. Um, there's been no research. There, there's been, even though these dogs have been highly successful, there's been no research to look at the benefits, just everything that's been collected anecdotally. So if you think, if we want to bring these dogs over to this country, we need more evidence, we need research evidence to support it. So we can't just bring the dogs over because it's worked somewhere else. We need some hard evidence. Um, so one of the first steps that we did before we got Oliver is because there was no research in any other areas pertaining to these dogs in the criminal justice system, we needed to look at other areas to see how these dogs could be beneficial. Um, and so what we did, is before we got Oliver, we needed to sort of basically, we had to convince our university, like, we want one of these dogs. When I started doing this, as soon as I, I met these dogs the first time, I went over to America, I knew I, I want one of these dogs. I, wanna, I want us to be the first ones to get one of these dogs and bring them over. How we were going to do that, I didn't quite know. Um, so we started looking at other research, and what my research led to was the human-canine relationship. So there's, there's been no research looking at these dogs, well there wasn't at the time, there's now, but there's no research looking at the impact these dogs have in the criminal justice system. But there is an abundance of research looking at the impact of the human-canine relationship and the impact it has on us as humans. And a lot of people think, you know when people say, you know, these are man's best friends, they really are because there's an actual science behind the human-canine relationship and the impact these animals have on us. Yeah, cats are good, the horses are nice, goats, turkeys, chickens, whatever else. I'm sure those pets are great. 
but they are not as good as dogs. That's why they're called man's best friend. And, and cat lovers can contest this, but there's science behind it. Because we've evolved with dogs, people don't realize that we have actually evolved with dogs for tens of thousands of years. They're the only domesticated animals to have accompanied humans through all walks of life since ancient times across all continents for tens of thousands of years. So because of that, we call that covergent evolution when two species evolve together in the same environment. Because we've evolved together, we've actually shaped each other's genes. So when we're in the presence of dogs and when we stroke a dog, we actually automatically, because of the long evolution together, we release oxytocin, which is sort of our calming, our social bonding uh, hormone. And when we release that, it automatically gets released. When we release that, it automatically makes us more calmer. It also makes the dog more calmer as well. So it's all actually released in canines and in humans. And there's been no evidence in any other animal even if you think that cats are amazing, your goat is the best thing to come, or your donkey, doesn't compare to a dog. There's no other evidence except for when it comes to the human canine relationship. And that's why it's so strong, because there's actual science behind it. And you see that every day. I mean, you look at the human canine relationship, and you see it all the time. You see dogs going into nursing homes, to schools, to prisons, because they're linked to a lot of, a lot of benefits for humans, loads of benefits. Decreased stress, anxiety, improvement in mood, cognitive abilities, decreased blood pressure. I mean, you see it all the time, the impact that these dogs have. And essentially, all we're doing is we're taking that human-canine relationship and we're looking at it in the context of vulnerable victims. So there's a lot of research to back it up. In particular, dogs have been used for um, therapeutic outcomes for children for, for years and years. And they are particularly helpful for children because they provide not only that, that level of calmness, but they all also give children a sense of safety um, and security. There's a bunch of research, but I picked this one because it really shows the power these dogs could have in the context of you know, police interviews and going to court. So there's a study done. Basically what happened is this researcher had children from 7 to 15, ages 7 to 15, interact with a dog that they were not familiar with for 5 minutes. That's it, just 5 minutes. And within 5 minutes, 74% of the children thought the dog knew how they felt. 80, oh sorry, 76% thought that the, the dog knew how they felt. 84% said that they would confide a secret to the dog within 5 minutes. So if you think about that, how many children do you know that within five minutes of meeting a stranger would say, I think I'm going to tell them a secret? Very few children would do that, would they? And if you think of that in the context of a police interview, when a child is being interviewed by a police officer, they're a victim of a crime, and you have to be interviewed by a complete stranger, there has never been an interview that I've ever seen where within five minutes the child discloses everything or discloses a secret to, to a, a complete stranger. It just doesn't happen. But when you have these dogs, that's what brings the child, the, the child automatically trusts you more because they trust these dogs. Because when they're stroking the dog or when they see the dog, they automatically release oxytocin. And it's even more prevalent in children. And that's why children especially have special bonds with dogs because it automatically increases your trustworthiness. So those are the kind of background research that we looked into. And based on what we sort of looked at, we knew that there was potential and we needed to look further into this. So that's when we looked at how we could get one of these dogs. 
So currently, um, there are no assistance dog organizations in the UK that train these dogs. And basically, that's because our resources are limited. You know, you got in America and Canada, I mean, they're vast, aren't they? They're vast countries. There's hundreds of assistance dog organizations. I think we have about eight. So when we started looking at how we get these dogs, we didn't have any resources. So um, we contacted a uh, assistance dog organization in America uh, called Duo, and they donated Oliver to us for our research and to help us extend the use of these dogs globally. Because to this this point, there's been none none of these dogs used outside of North America. Um, so we got Oliver. It's a long process of getting one of these dogs. Uh, I didn't realize the process. It's not like your therapy dog and you take your own pet and you know within a day your pet's a therapy dog. Um, it's a very long process. Um, so when we got Oliver, we had to apply um, for an assistance dog. We had to give a job description. We had to take videos of the house and where he was working, what he'd be doing. And then it was an eight-month process. And then once we were accepted, we had to go to the St. Louis and train with Oliver for 10 days and then we had to bring him back. So it was a very long process. Um, I'm going to show you a video. This is um, when we went down to St. Louis to collect Oliver and train. Um, they made a video. It's quite a good video. They just uh, sprung it on us last minute. Um, we didn't have that many clothes, so apologies for our outfits, but we literally had to pack very light. The support dog story began over 32 years ago with the vision to train and team assistance dogs with disabled clients free of charge. Since then, these teams have written countless heartwarming tales and inspired us to find new ways to unleash the power of dogs. And our story keeps evolving, most recently, into the placement of facility dogs who provide comfort around the clock in places like courthouses and hospitals. My name is Liz Friend, um, and this is Katrina Nosebach, uh, and we're both from um, Kensbury Christchurch University, and we've been here at Sport Dogs for the past week, training with our facility dog, Oliver. Oliver is the most special facility dog ever in existence because he is not only the first one in the UK and Europe, but he is the very, very first one globally that will be used for research purposes as well. So in the UK, anybody who is either a child or a victim of a particularly heinous crime would be classed as vulnerable. So Oliver will be there for them specifically to help them and help them give the best evidence that they can. In all legal cases, it's all about best evidence, giving your best evidence. And vulnerable people struggle a lot to give the best evidence for a number of, of reasons. Uh, and these dogs will help facilitate giving their best evidence. So it's giving them the chance to give their side of the story in a coherent way. Support dogs came into my practice almost by accident early on when we had an autistic child who had what we call tactile sensitivity. He didn't like to be touched, which made things very difficult um, when you're trying to give somebody like that chemotherapy. A friend who had a support dog offered to come by and just see if the dog could offer the child comfort. And you saw this child's fear disappear when that dog came into the room. And from that point on, as long as that dog was there, we had no trouble giving this child chemotherapy. He's cured of his tumor. He's cancer-free. It was just absolute magic. 
So when I first said, I'm getting a dog, I'm going to go to America and I'm going to get the first facility dog, you said, no. Yeah. She thought I was crazy. It's exciting. You know, I'm trying to calm myself. I mean, Tuna can tell you I've been very excited. When we went to the Courthouse Foundation, they introduced us to a few ADI organizations. And then when we talked to support dogs, I mean, right away, we hung up our Skype interview and High five. Yeah. <laughs> Danced. You know. Support dogs have been just the best organization that we ever could have linked up with. We've been trying for a long time and it's only with Oliver that we can actually get this evidence together. We've had children who have had support dogs. I'll leave it there. I should mention. <laughs> It's very confusing. They were called support dogs, and then right when we got Oliver, they changed their name to Duo. So that's why you keep on hearing the word support dogs. Um, and that other lady, um, so she's Oliver's second handler, so she works in the policing department. Um, and when we went over, we were allowed to have two people um, handle Oliver, so we, we brought me and Katrina, who's in policing. So that was kind of, so we got Oliver. Um, I always like to emphasize this because everyone always confuses Oliver for a therapy dog or an emotional support dog. And I don't and I think they just think that he's just this lazy dog. And he's he really isn't. He's this is what he's trained to do. I know it sounds weird, but he goes through a it's a breeding process. He comes from a long line of dogs that do this. Um, so I really want to explain the, the, the vigorous process that these dogs go through and we had to go through just to bring him here. Um, so when we finally, so we had our application, we sent it off, and then we came in to um, Duo to do our 10 days of training. So when you send your application, you have to just give a, like a job description. You don't get to know what dog you get, what color, what name, if it's a boy or a girl. And I know those are superficial things, but everyone's a bit superficial. I wanted a black dog, I wanted a boy, and I wanted a name like Oliver. I wasn't picky, but those things I wanted. So I was very excited when we got there and they had the dogs ready. But for the first day and a half, we weren't allowed to know what dog we had. They were just there. So after the first day and a half, we were allowed to finally be introduced to our dogs. Okay, so I'm going to show you our, some of the, the, the pictures. So this is when we first met Oliver. The video, I'm going to show you a video and then I'll show you the training. So this is when we first met and I got very excited. The trainer wasn't happy. <laughs> That's her telling me off. <laughs> so basically what happened after a day and a half and after, I need, you, I need to put you in my, in my shoes, okay? So I am one of those people just generally that when you see a dog, my, I, I get that high-pitched voice. I, I love dogs naturally. And I'd been working on this project trying to bring these types of dogs over here for about a year and a half. And I was so determined. And we got to the end point and then my dog was there for a day and a half and I wasn't allowed to, to interact with any of them. So I was very excited at this point. And they had told us that we were allowed to give an emotional hello. I think that there was a little bit of a language discrepancy between <laughs> what a Canadian emotional hello is and an American emotional hello. So this is the video. Uh, it's, I think it's quite funny. So this is, so um, when you say the word free, that's when Oliver knows he can go and, and play. That's his, that's his cue, that word. So when she says it, that's when I'm allowed to give my emotional hello. But I got in trouble. It stopped.
I was really concerned they were going to take it away. I was very concerned. <laughs> so that's my emotional hello. That was everyone else's emotional hello. There's a big difference. There's a big difference, mine and theirs. So that's kind of that was the beginning. Um, so the team training, so when we had to train, so Oliver, so every assistance dog will go through the same um, training. So he goes to the same training as guide dogs, um, dogs for hearing, same training. He knows how to um, rise on desks and, and pick things up. Um, you know, sometimes in the house we like give him something, go take it upstairs, and he'll run upstairs, and he'll give it to one person, and he'll bring back down something else. Um, you know, he's trained to do all these things, because he's an assistance dog, and they all go through the same processes. Uh, he's trained to, um, you know, close drawers, he's trained to open things, which is interesting sometimes. Um, so he's trained to do all these different things. And then he's also trained, so after they all go through the same training, then they start to specialize. It's kind of like when you, you, know, you go to university and you see what you're good at, and then you sort of go specialize in a certain route. So then he started to specialize. So he does the basic things that every assistance dog can do. And then he'll start to specialize. So this is the room. So literally every day, he's been trained since, since birth. So for the first six months, he goes off and he um, does basic training. And then for a year, almost up to a year, he trains every day doing this. So they have a, a little medical examination table and they practice with him just sitting there. And they practice holding the lead and getting him to sit and not move. Um, they have a little, that's a witness box. They practice with that. Every, every single day they are practicing and they practice. He won't move at all. That's what they're trained to do. They're trained to, even if you move him around, he'll just let you do what you want to do to him. And uh, do you know what? Um, they are so well trained. When I first met these dogs and I went to America and um, we did a, a mock police interview and I was stroking one of their dogs. I thought, God, this is really good. And I was just getting off some of the fluff, like from the hair, and I, I think I wasn't really paying attention too much, and I pulled something out. I thought it was fur. It was a whisker. And for those of you that don't know, like, the whiskers, like, literally have six million, like, sensory, it's the most sensitive aspect of the dog's face. Um, if I pulled that out of my other dog, she'd probably bite me, and she's very friendly. This dog, and I didn't mean to do it, this dog literally got up, it kind of just went like that, and put his head down, and did nothing. And I was, I, I looked over to my colleague Katrina, I was like, I just pulled the dog's whiskers, it's gone, stop. He was lopsided. He didn't move. We were there for an hour afterwards, he didn't move. Afterwards, I mean, he did look a bit lopsided, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that it was like one of those main, you know, like one of those main whiskers. It wasn't like one on the edge. It was like right in the middle. Um, but he didn't move, and that just shows how well trained these dogs are. They will not move. Um, so this is like literally that um, that one on the left. That's the, the the breeding room. They have a breeding program and everything. So um, they literally 24 hours a day. These these dogs, these puppies, they are looked after in the breeding room, and then they go towards the, the best room of all, the socialization room. Um, so after they're weaned off their mum, they'll go to the socialization room, which is basically all these toys, and there's all these volunteers that come in, and you just get to play with the dogs and the puppies, and do whatever you want with them to socialize them, and they do that every day up until it's about 12 weeks and then they go off and do their training. So these dogs, this is just showing how much work goes into not just the training but even the socialization, the breeding, so much goes into this. Um, so what does Oliver do? So 
Oliver is trained to do all those things. So he's trained to go into police interviews, he's trained for medical examinations, he's trained to go into court. What we are using him for though, um, with the Kent Police, is um, police interviews. And one of the reasons we wanted to focus on police interviews is because in, our, in this country, our vulnerable victims don't tend to go to court. And if you can get a really good police interview and really good evidence and a very clear, consistent story, a lot of times that means that case won't go to court. And that's kind of what ideally you want. You, you don't want a victim to have to relive that any longer than they have to. So if you can get good evidence in a police interview, the case can be shut down quicker and the victim can, can start to move on. Um, so I'll show you, um, so we were on um, Crime Watch a few weeks, a few months ago um, with the Kent Police and this is just sort of detailing what he does with the police. Now, for many victims of crime, making a statement to police before giving evidence in court can be a daunting and traumatic experience. But now, an idea is being trialled which is hoped could make the process a little easier. Tell me more, I'm joined by DC Rachel Freeman from Kent Police. Rachel, I'll come to you in a moment. And also, psychologist Liz Spurin, who's brought his little Oliver down there. You can just see, having a little sleep. Um, Good morning to you all. Are you Oliver's handler? What makes him such a special dog? Um, well, Oliver is a justice facility dog, and what makes him really special is he is the very first of his kind in Europe. So he was donated to uh, Canterbury Christchurch University from Duo, an organization in America that trains these dogs. Um, and his role is, is basically to provide quiet companionship and non-judgmental support to victims and witnesses, which enables them to communicate more clearly when recounting their traumatic experiences. Well, let's have a little look now. We can actually see some footage of dogs like this in, in the USA that have been going for some time uh, with great success. And these dogs can actually sense if someone's stressed or upset. Yeah, so they can sense if someone's upset and in, in doing so they don't, like all this doing now, they'll either sit by their feet or they'll rest their head on, on their lap. And, you know, this is a novel thing in the UK where it's just 200 of these dogs working across North America and they have been for the past 20 years. Wow, so it could really be something that, uh, that you're on to you because in okay. Kent Police, Rachel, you're trialling this at the moment. So Oliver's working with you. Uh, yeah. At the moment, you're doing it for the, for the interview process. And, and how's he been so far? Well, so far, it's gone really well. So in Kent Police, victims and witnesses are at the heart of everything that we're doing. So we're always looking for new ways to manage uh, victims' needs uh, and we really think that Oliver is going to be able to help and support vulnerable victims giving their evidence in police interviews. So it's, it's a tough thing to do, I, I remember from my time in the police, it's very, very difficult. You're in a, a police station, you're trying to give evidence, it's all often a traumatic thing that you're trying to recall. So if they can be helped in any way, and especially with something as calm and placid as Oliver clearly is, I could see this being really encouraging and potentially move forward into the court process as well, because that is obviously very, very stressful as well. Absolutely, so that, that's the hope in the long run that we'll see Oliver and other, other dogs like Oliver introduced in the court arena. So that just gets a sense of, of what we're doing, um, and I'll, I'm going to go through. So. In the police interviews, what we do is, um, before you go into the interview, there's a bonding period between the, the person that's using Oliver um, and Oliver, just to kind of get a sense of that bond can be established so that when they go in the interview, they both trust each other, the victim's comfortable, Oliver knows who they are, um, and then in the, the actual interview, Oliver's job is basically to provide quiet companionship. And then after the interview, they were given the opportunity to say goodbye to Oliver and sort of, you know, go on their separate ways. Oliver, sit. Good boy, down. 
good boy. Um, so this is kind of what we do, and I, I'll, I, I mean, I have all the, the sheets, but you guys can look at them later. What we do is basically when there's a police interview, um, and a police officer thinks this victim might want to use Oliver, we have like a little sheet that the um, officers can give to the victims that might want to use Oliver. He loves these sheets because he's, he's, he, he likes to take them and give them to people. Obviously. Um, so it just kind of sort of shows, this is Oliver, this is what he does, um, this is where he's from. Just so before, if they're going to use Oliver, at least we can start the bonding process so they know who he is, what he looks like. I mean, I'll pass that around. So usually I give it to him and he, and he gives it to people. Obviously, so he's... See? You can if you want. Oh, yeah. uh, no, I'll do the book because he, he gets very excited about these games. <laughs> Um, we also have a video that just sort of shows some of the things that he can help you with. Um, so that's the kind of sense. We want people to know what he looks like, so there's no like, oh, he's bigger than what I thought, or that's not what I was expecting. So we get a sense of, of what he's used for. They know that he's specially trained, so they know he's not just some random dog. And that's the initial um, instructions. And then we have the, the before the police interview. This is really important. So what we do, and it depends on the victim, Oliver's trained to do a number of different things. He's ready for this. He's looking at me. He's, and it depends on the victim, what, what, what the victim wants. So um, he's trained to like pick up puzzle pieces and bring them back to do little puzzles. Um, for young children, we've made this book. And um, it's just a book about Oliver's life, like what he likes to do, where he's from. And a lot of times, um, the, especially children, they'll sit down and read it with Oliver. And then at the end, the police officer, Oliver, sit, will say, Oliver, get, hold, you calm, hold. <laughs> so, he's, so he's trained. Good boy. Good boy. Down. Oliver, come here. So he'd say, like, do you want to Oliver, give? And so what, he'll give the book to someone. Oliver, sit. A little child down. And then they'll just sit on the floor and go through the day in the life of Oliver or what he likes to do. He loves this game. <laughs> and... Um, what that leads to, if you can imagine if you're a child, and then the police officer, right after you learn a bit about Oliver, police officer comes in and basically says, okay, well, there's Oliver's story. Um, let's go in and let's hear a bit about more your story. So it's a really good intro, for, for, especially for a child. Um, but some people, like, if they're adults and stuff, so a lot of times, um, you know... <laughs> Oliver, like, the, uh, you know, adults don't want to play games, but he's still looking at the book. But um, they like hugs and stuff, so Oliver's trained to... Oliver, nap. Nap, come on. So he can give a hug, and he'll just sit there, and he'll just symmetry sit here. So some adults might just want a little hug beforehand. Sometimes he comes all the way. And he's trained when he comes off. Oliver, off. If you watch, he's a big boy, but he's trained like a ballerina. It's the only little thing he does like a ballerina. He's trained not to put any pressure on at all. Um, he's just trained to sort of jump off all of his body weights. You guys can have hugs after if you'd like. Um, he's also trained before the interview if someone just wants a little visit. Oliver, visit. And he just puts his head there. So not, not everyone wants a big dog on him. And he'll just sit there. And before the interview, you just sort of give him a little cuddle. And you really start to bond. Um, and you, you teach the, the individual that's taking him in a few basic things of what he can do. So when that individual goes into a police interview, they feel confident because they've just learned some things. You learn a bit about Oliver. And then you go into the interview. And you walk in the interview holding Oliver. And again, that's a sense of control. So they're already going into the interview in a better, you know, a better mindset, a bit more relaxed, distracted in a good way, and, and sort of ready for an interview. And then we have the actual interview process. So 
Every interview is different. Um, a lot of times they'll have like a sofa, and Oliver's trained to sort of sit on a sofa. Uh, he's trained to sit uh, by you on the floor. You can literally, um, he's trained to like, if someone wants to go on the floor, we've had children, he'll just sit there, and you can just do whatever you want, and he'll just sit. He's looking for his book. And he will literally just sit there. And he'll fall asleep. You can put him any way you want. So a lot of children that use him to sit on the floor, and they'll just sit, and he will just sit with you. And he's so—he might not look comfortable. I can assure you, he's so comfortable. And he'll just fall asleep. And he's trained to make sure that he has contact with the individual in any way. So any anything they want him to do in the interview, he can do it. Whether it's just he just wants a little paw on them or his full face. Now I'm not going to get up. Here you go, good boy. So that's kind of how it works in the interview. And you, you notice in the interviews, like when they're about to disclose something, a lot of victims will really use Oliver a lot more and really start to stroke him a lot more heavily. And then after the interview, so after the interview, if you can imagine, if you're a child especially, you know, a lot of these children that go through the criminal justice process, they don't, they struggle to understand relationships. They struggle to keep relationships. They struggle to form relationships. They, they struggle to trust. And so we try to teach them that not everyone is going to leave you, um, you know, for a negative reason. It's important for them to know that sometimes in life you have relationships, but then those relationships end, and you make sure that you end them in a positive way. So we give everyone the chance to say goodbye. So we have these little cards um, that we give out to the victims, and um, they can sort of give a message to Oliver um, and say, thank you, Oliver, or um, they can take it home with them and put it on the wall or whatever they want to do. Um, and then we have little baseball cards that we give out just as a way to say, you know, this is Oliver. Th these are some of the things he likes to do. You can take a card if you'd like. Um, and all that. So they have something to remember him by. So that's kind of how it works in, in a very quick process. So we started doing some research into this, just to give you an idea that it is working. It's not just me telling you it's working. Um, we've done about 12 interviews so far. I've only had a chance to, to look at six. Oliver, sit. And basically, sit. Down. Good boy. So in these interviews, what we've done is we've used six cases involving victims of sexual crimes. And what we do is, like we just showed you, Oliver's available before, after, before, during, and after an interview. And what we do is we look at, we get um, all the, the victims to complete a, an anxiety measure, to standardized measure, before they meet Oliver, and then after they meet Oliver. And then we interview all the people involved in the case, the interviewing officer, any guardians, um, any support that they brought, and the victims. And we get a sense of, of the impact that Oliver's had. We also do observations. So we observe um, the, the victims prior to meeting Oliver. So for all of our six victims, and it's the same across all the cases, every single one of our victims that we come across is visibly anxious. And I don't just mean a little. I mean severely, visibly anxious. Everyone that we've had so far has literally been trembling of anxiety, has been crying, unable to speak, um, fidgeting, a number of things, but every single one of them have been visibly anxious. As soon as we bring Oliver in, their whole demeanor, their whole body, everything changes. Um, every single one of them, as soon as Oliver walks in, as most of you guys did, smiled at Oliver. 
um, visibly became calmer. We've had people literally who have been shaking uncontrollably and within two or three strokes they've just stopped shaking and could, could actually speak and put a sentence together. So the difference between before Oliver comes and after is so amazing. The best data, oh sorry big man, the best data we've had so far, so we, um, we got our victims to do this anxiety measure. Okay, so for, um, in a stressful situation, the average anxiety score for in a stressful situation, the top end is um, 61. Yeah, it's 61, so that's the top end, right? So every single one of the victims that we've worked with so far has been extremely anxious, like beyond the normal ranges, have been extremely, extremely anxious. And when we've introduced Oliver, after five to ten minutes, that's it, five to ten minutes, their anxiety levels have severely gone significantly decreased. So much so that some of them have gone into the normal range within like a stressful situation, but the vast majority have decreased their anxiety levels so much that they're not even anxious. It's just a normal range of anxiety. That's how much impact he's had so far on the cases that we've worked with. He's looking around for something. Um, I always think he's looking for his book. He loves that book. <laughs> Don't you? Um, just some case examples. I'll just sit to finish off because um, down, you know, it's good giving you numbers, but I always find the stories tell so much more. So two case examples. One of them is the impact Oliver has in helping people actually get into the interview room. So if you can imagine if you're a child and you go into an interview room, going into an interview is a very stressful thing. We had an eight-year-old child who literally, um, her and her two sisters were abused by a family member and they um, refused to cooperate with the police. The eight-year-old, it took them three hours to get her into the actual police station. And um, when they tried to sit her down to even talk about doing an interview, she just couldn't do the interview. She refused to do it, and she just stopped talking. So they brought Oliver in. Oliver, you sit down, please. All the way down, come on. <laughs> He's slow. He knows something's going on. He always does this when I have lectures. He's always like... So... Um, I once had a lecture and there was someone in the back doing something like that and he just went, he was like, what's that? And he didn't know what, it was just someone just doing this with their pen. Um, so um, we had an eight-year-old girl and basically, so she, she wouldn't go into the interview room, she wouldn't even get into the police building. We brought Oliver and we actually saw her outside the police, um, the police building and she took Oliver and she ran into the police uh, building. And then, um, shockingly, she skipped into the interview room. She didn't just walk, she didn't, no fuss, she skipped. Um, and we weren't even supposed to have an aid, we weren't even supposed to have the police interview. It was just an introduction to say, this is what you could use. Um, but she was so relaxed, she was so calm, she just said, yeah, let's do it. She did an interview, halfway through they had a break, she ran back with Oliver and all she could talk about was Oliver snoring and how Oliver was on top of her and how he was so cuddly, it's all she talked about. Not the disclosures, the, you know, she had five or six disclosures, none of that. And then when they said, you ready to finish? She ran back and her mom literally broke down in tears because she was so happy. She, had, she, she basically said, you have no idea how happy I am to see her like this. Like she was literally trembling because she just didn't want to go further. And, her, and this was just like night and day. And um, because of that, you know, her other two sisters now are, are going through the process with Oliver um, and they're getting the evidence they need and it's going to court.
So that's just one example. The other example is his ability to help people communicate. So we had another um, a young child who's 12 and she was uh, raped several times and um, she had autism and she really struggled to communicate. And they tried to do an interview with her. They couldn't get any, um, anything from her. She kept shutting down. She wouldn't communicate. We brought Oliver in and um, her um, interviewer said, and I quote, she would not shut up. She literally was in there for three hours. It was one of the longest interviews. And she was very clear in everything she said. Um, every time she was about to disclose another incident, she said it very clearly, very matter-of-factly. She never made eye contact once with the interviewer. The whole time she was just fixated on Oliver, stroking him. And that just shows the power of what he can do. And that's just two cases. Um, my last thing is just some of the quotes um, that really show the, the power of what he does. So um, the mother of that eight-year-old victim I was talking about that couldn't even get into the police station, she sent us an email the next day and said, I just want to take the time to thank you and the amazing Oliver for your help with the victim. Um, I, was, I wish you could have seen her the first time she was interviewed. She's absolutely traumatized. And to see how Oliver affected her psychologically and how calm he made her it was amazing and gave her the confidence to do what she needed to do. Once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart to your team, but, most, but mostly to the amazing Oliver. He's a superstar. Um, then there was the um, eight-year-old victim wrote a little note to Oliver saying, I loved Oliver being there. He was so affectionate. He definitely helped. He just sat with me. It was really nice. Even the warmth from his body was nice. So even that warmthness provides comfort, especially to children. Um, and then the 12-year-old that uh, we interviewed, the, the interviewing officer said, uh, thanks again for bringing Oliver in the other day. It was like the victim was a different person. It was incredible. Last time I tried to interview her, she wouldn't speak. We barely got anything out of her. However, as you saw the other day, that was not the case this time. Even when she sat on the floor, Oliver placed his paw on her back as if to remind her he was there. He could really sense when she was upset. I noticed when she was disclosing, it's like he knew every time he inched closer to her body. There were times when this particular victim, she had to go on the floor to do certain things, to like draw things out, and Oliver is trained when he sensed it to have that physical contact. So he would always, when she sat on the floor, he'd just sit on the sofa and he'd put his paw on her back, just to show. And then I think at one point, I think she was a bit too far, and he leaned too much, he kind of fell off the sofa. And then he didn't know what to do, so he just came around and just sort of sat literally on her, um, as if to say, I'm, I'm here. Um, but that just shows the impact that he can have. I mean, the future, I mean, what the, I mean, this is just, we've been doing this for a couple of years. Um, we've had Oliver for just over a year. Uh, ideally, you know, we want to show that these dogs, how amazing these dogs are. All we want to do is just show what they do. Um, I always tell people you have to see it to believe it. And once people start to see it, you know, I have no doubt in, you know, two, three, four years, we're going to have these dogs everywhere. Um, and I think they're really beneficial. You know, there's been so much success in, in America and Canada, and we're hoping to, to bring that success over here. That was Dr Liz Spruin from our psychology department over in Canterbury. We'll post links to some of the things Liz talked about on the show page in our blog. That's blogs.canterbury.ac.uk slash discursive. We'll also provide details of Justice Support Dogs International. For other talks and discussions, please subscribe to our podcast. You can get that on iTunes, SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for discussions in Tunbridge Wells. As well as that, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CCCUAPPSY. All that remains for me to do is to thank Liz and Oliver once again for an interesting evening and hopefully we'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.